We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Well, let's open up to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, as we finish this amazing letter today, and I almost uh, hesitate. I'm like, man, I really, really enjoyed this challenging letter, you know, to leave. But um, prayerfully, as time progresses, you guys will see the fruit of being able to be challenged by this, and hopefully it's made a difference in your life. As we go through this study today, we're going to see four points that I think are very practical for us to be aware of. And we begin, first of all, with this point, and that is liberation from sin. Because look what you read in verse 18. It says, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. See, there's this, there's this liberation from sin if we're Christians, if we're born of God. You know, to be born of God is synonymous with saying, This one's saved. He or she is a Christian. As Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, Most assuredly, verily, verily, amen. This is the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. See? That's why we read in John chapter 1, verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, who were born, not of the blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, Christians are born again. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 1.23, we having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And so when he says right here that we're born again, it's synonymous with being a Christian. And he says, when you're born again, this is what happens, man, think about this. Born again, born of God, God in you. When you're born again, you're set free from the power of sin. You see, sin then no longer has dominion over you as a Christian. And John's been repeating this truth so we can examine our lives. He's been saying over and again, are you a Christian? When you die, are you going to go to heaven or hell? Well, I went to church, I did the altar call, I said the prayer, I got the t-shirt, I got the bumper sticker. And John says, this is the way that you can examine your life. Is there any sin that, you, that has dominion over you, that you're not set free from? And we're going to get into this as he goes through this whole thing. You know, C.H. Spurgeon said, a faith that doesn't change my behavior will never change my destiny. You see, there's this liberation from sin. I've been going through the book of Exodus. Remember when Moses was sent to Pharaoh? Remember? You guys have seen that, right? When Moses was sent to Pharaoh, he says, Let my people go that they may serve me. And he just kept saying it over and over again. Let my people go that they may serve me. Let my people go that they may serve me. When you're born again, you are set free from the power of sin. So we can now serve God. And there's this liberation from sin. 
And that's exactly what John is talking about. Now, it doesn't mean that all the battles are over. It just means that we no longer live in sin. We no longer live in persistent, insistent, consistent sin. We don't live that way anymore. It means that we don't have a heart to walk into sin with eyes wide open presumptuously. It means that when we sin, there's a deep conviction within. And if that's not there and you're walking into sin with eyes wide open, then you might might not know the Lord. That's what he's saying. And it's not to condemn anybody. As a matter of fact, it's to save everybody. And that's all he's saying. You know, when you're really a Christian, and we've been seeing this in going through John, are you real? Are you real? Are you really a Christian? And that's all he's asking right here. We read the same thing, remember, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. In the Greek, it's in the present tense. Same as in 1 John chapter 5. It's a habitual, continual sin. They don't keep on sinning, right? For his seed, this is why it's such a simple explanation. God's seed lives inside those who are his children. And so there's no way sin could have dominion over you if you really know the Lord. And so, you know, you guys, search your heart. If you're here today and you're living in insistent, resistant, consistent sin, if you're one of those people and you're able to walk into sin with eyes wide open and that conviction does not stop you in your tracks, I don't care what you're doing. You might not know the Lord. And you really got to get your heart right. You really got to surrender. You got to be broken. That's all he's saying. It's for us to know. The NLT says, We know that those who have become part of God's family do not practice sinning. And this is what John has taught us. And this is why it's so beautiful to be able to study the Bible together. Uh, we're going to see as we go through our, our text today, he keeps saying, And we know. We know these things. We know these things. How do we know these things? Because we've been taught these things. As we study the Bible together, as we study First John together, we know these things. And in the Greek, it's a really neat word. It's the word oida. And what it speaks of is an objective knowledge. It means to know intellectually. It speaks of a certain knowledge intellectually, objectively. We know this as Christians with both the Word of God before us and the spirit of god within us that if you're really a christian you don't live like that anymore and if you're still living like that you're not a christian that's all he's saying you know we often have the conversation with other people sometimes with fellow christians you know maybe they'll say something like this hey it was good to meet your cousin kevin today you know he's a nice guy and then you know for those of us that care a lot of times the, the very next words will be is he a believer are they are they a believer and then, you know, you're like not sure and you're like, well, keep him in prayer. I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, he went forward at the altar call. He prayed the prayer. He's been coming to church, but his life has not changed. He's still living in sexual sin. He's still doing drugs. He's still getting drunk. He's whatever it is. And, and then, you know, both of the Christians at that point say, okay, well, we'll be praying. We don't know. There's no assurance there. And that's really what John is trying to 
to tell us as he closes the letter with these things that are so important, what a tragedy it would be if when you died, and it could be today, it could be tomorrow, what a tragedy it would be if you were here day in and day out, whatever it is, and you didn't really know the Lord because you would not let go of your sin. What a tragedy. And that's why you got to let it go. It will literally take you to hell unless you let it go. That's when you're really born again. He says right here, we don't sin. Romans 6 verse 22, it says, But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end which is everlasting life. See, we've been set free. Because a lot of times people will say, well, I just can't help it. I, I just can't help it. You know, it's too strong for me. It overcomes me. Whatever it is, you know, I was brought up this way or whatever it is, I'm wired this way. You know what? If God lives in you, none of those things matter. Yes, it might be more of a struggle for you, but sin will not have dominion over God's children. That's all he's saying. And we got to know this. We know, verse 18, we know that whoever is born of God does not habitually sin. And then the second thing is this. Liberation from sin leads to protection from Satan. Because look again, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. You see, first there's this liberation from sin as Christians, which then really leads to a protection from Satan. You know, when you come to the Lord, you're born again, you become a Christian. It's true, God in his gracious sovereignty, he keeps you. I don't want to take away from that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 mentions that. And Jude, verse 24, mentions that. That God keeps you. That God protects you. And you know, we pray for uh, protection. We probably do, right? When you get in the car and you're driving, Lord, keep us safe. You know, but that doesn't mean you drive like crazy, right? And God is his sovereignty. We have responsibility. You pray for protection. Doesn't mean you can't have a gun, right? Or Kung Fu Sansu, whatever it is. I don't know how you protect yourself, right? And so God keeps us, true. But then we also have to, in one sense, keep ourselves. God keeps us in his sovereignty. We also have a responsibility to keep ourselves from sin, which is then very effective and protective in keeping us from Satan. And that's what John is really teaching us right here. We know that whoever has born, been born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, interesting, keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. You see, we got to keep ourselves too, man. We got to take care of business, man. We got to make those choices not to sin. And if you don't believe me, look at verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves. Keep yourselves from idols. We got to keep ourselves in check, right? James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. We keep ourselves unspotted from the world. We have a responsibility. God has his sovereignty. We have his part, 
Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart, protect your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And so we need to keep ourselves. I think one good way to keep ourselves is to keep ourselves, Jude verse 21 says, in the love of God. And we keep ourselves there. God loves me in the sphere of his blessing by living the life, right? And so we have to understand the connection here. Number one, liberation from sin. Number two, protection from Satan. When we keep ourselves from sin, in one sense, we're keeping ourselves from Satan. Where the wicked one, he doesn't touch us. Now the Greek word right here, it doesn't literally mean touch. It means cling to. It means to adhere to. It's talking about when Satan just comes into someone's life and they are all over them. It's, it's the devil, man. It's a crazy spiritual battle and, and it's, a, it's a really tough place for someone to be in, you know? And that's what he's saying right there. When we keep ourselves from sin, then we kind of protect ourselves from Satan. For example, when someone chooses to get high, that's how they get by. They get high, right? Smoking pot, doing crystal meth, whatever it is. Then what they do in that sin is they open doors to demons, right? And that's what we have to understand. When you keep yourselves from those things, you keep those doors closed, so to speak. See, he who has been born of God keeps himself, and he, the wicked one, speaking to Satan, doesn't touch him or doesn't fasten to him doesn't lay hold of him in order to harm him. As we distance ourselves from disobedience, we distance ourselves literally from the devil. Any of you guys ever get angry? Yeah, Ephesians 4, 26 and 7, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. See, when you get angry and then you sin, what you're doing is you're giving the devil an opportunity to come in. And that's all John is saying. You know, if you're born of God, there's liberation from sin. Now you're set free to do the right thing. Use your freedom now to serve the Lord and to live a life of obedience because it's so cool when you do that, when you choose not to sin, then you keep the devil at a healthy distance away from you. I'm not saying he can't tempt you. I'm not saying you're still not going to do spiritual battle. But he will not be where he does not belong. And that's the choices that we have to make. When you get angry and sin, you don't really care if you work things out. If that's your heart, you actually give more of an opportunity for the devil to come in, for Satan to kind of like stick to you as he desires to. And that's just a simple truth that we find in the Bible. For example, you guys probably are all familiar with the story of Peter who fell into the grave sin of denying the Lord. And he was sifted as wheat by the devil. Jesus said, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. What does that mean? I mean, gosh, it's a terrible, terrible fall that for the rest of his life, I'm sure the devil would use as ammunition. Who knows what it did to those who were watching? We never read about stuff, the witness of when a Christian falls, the damage it does. So when Satan, you know, sifted Peter as wheat, we know that it wasn't a one-step thing, right? Peter first did his own thing, right? Peter fell into the grave sin of denying the Lord was sifted as wheat by Satan himself. Why? Because he first fell into the sins of overconfidence, 
prayerlessness, following Jesus at a distance, and warming himself by the enemy's fire. And so there were sins that in one sense opened the door for the devil to come in and to sift him as wheat. Maybe some of you here today, you're in that, you're in that place, man, where the devil is just all over you. The devil is lying to you. The devil's telling you to, 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 to kill yourself. The devil's telling you to end your marriage. I don't know what it is. We've got to know, man, that there's a place that we can come to, that God wants to make it right. And we have to make sure that when we get right with the Lord, that we stay right with the Lord. And how do we do that? But I think by really taking these things to heart, which then leads to the third point, liberation from sin, protection from Satan, and then sanctification from society. Because look what it says in verse 19, for we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And all these things I really believe lead to each other. They build upon each other. John is saying that the world we live in, the cosmos, is under the control of Satan. And yet we, he gives the contrast, on the other hand, are under the care and control of God. You know, we're on this earth, we're in this world, but we're to be salt on the earth and light of the world, right? We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Why? Because the world lies under the sway of the wicked one. That's the, the satanic system of the world that we live in. You know, the popular music and movies and media and mindset, their definition of marriage, their definition of success, even dictating to us oftentimes how we must address it's crazy, the sinful system of society that we live in. we got to know this. We, we know these things. He's saying, we know these things. We're not oblivious to this. We know these things. Why? Because we have the Spirit of God within us. We have the Word of God before us. And you look at our world today, and I think it's important for us to know, not just to know the, the contrast, or you are of God and the world is under the devil, not just for information as a matter of fact, but I think as a word of warning. You're different than them. You know that, don't you? That God lives in you. And so be careful. First John chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Talking to Christians. Because a lot of times Christians, they get caught up in this world. And you're having a good time. You're having fun. Right? But what's going to happen when you die? What's going to happen for those people, those Christians who lived a carnal life, and they had maybe everything that the world had to offer, but you know, all along they knew deep inside that God was calling them to something so much greater. But they never rose to that calling in their life. And so you had fun, whatever it is. You got a lot of money, a good job, big house, beautiful clothing. I don't, it doesn't matter. You look good. But then you die and you go to heaven as a Christian. 1 John 2.28 says you might be ashamed. You don't want that, do you? And so he gives us the warning. He says you're in the world, but you're not of the world. You got to know there's a contrast. You are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we see that in the world that we live in. And you guys, you're not oblivious to that, right? I hope you're not. I mean, we see it in every form. I mean, it's the government. 
It's, uh, like I said earlier, the media, um, it's the public schools. What are your children learning in the public schools? They're learning that they came into existence without a God through the process of evolution. They're learning at a very young and tender age when their hearts are still so pliable. They're learning that homosexuality is acceptable. And as a matter of fact, if you don't believe in homosexuality, then, then you are wicked. They are wicked. They're learning that in the public schools. They're learning that all religions are good except Christianity, of course. I mean, we got to know these things. Don't stick your head in the sand. We got to know this. Well, Manny, we got to send them to school. Yeah, it's true. You know, give them an education, but there's options. You know, you can send them to a good Christian school. And for many of you here, maybe God's calling you to homeschool your children. It's still legal, and it's actually very wonderful when the parent is the teacher. Well, Manny, we both have to work. Why? Well, because we got stuff. Why? Because the world told you you're supposed to. Did God ever tell you that? Seriously. You know what the Bible says? I'd rather live in a tent. Just be careful, you guys. I'm not, and I'm not, you know, saying that, you know, it always works out like that. I want you guys to know this, that there are some children in public schools, I think that in the end, they love the Lord more than some children who are homeschooled. I see that. And I know this. I also know this. There are some women who are, who are working, who love the Lord, and they have love more than some women who aren't. I see that. I'm not, I'm not silly. All I'm saying is that, you know, make sure that you are being led by the Lord and you understand that the flow of the world that we live in, the sway and the influence of society is wicked. And so, you know, come outside of the box and take a real good look at the decisions you're making and the way that you're living your life. And I pray that as you do that, that God would give you that grace to be able to just simply follow him. You see, the way it's working now is the world is under the sway of Satan, and as a general rule of thumb, Satan is mass-producing an ungodly society, largely by compromising and corrupting the family. See, you're the parent. We are children of God, and we have to know, you know what's going on. You know, we're living in a crazy world, and it's hard to escape. Have you guys ever gone whitewater rafting? Any of you guys ever gone whitewater rafting? If you haven't, you got to go, even if you die. Well, just make sure you know the Lord. Make sure you know the Lord before you go whitewater rafting. But I remember I got, you know, thrust out of the, the raft, and uh, I was in the river. And I, it was just a level three, so it wasn't like, you know, the worst whitewater rafting ever. But, you know, once you're in the river... I mean, I don't care how strong you are. Oh, I benched 350. It doesn't matter, man. That river's going to take you where it wants to take you. There's nothing you can do. You can hit a rock, get stuck in a tree. I thought I was going to die. You know, but um, all I'm saying is that in a situation like that, the only way out is this supernatural power. 
And in a sense, what I'm saying is that's the world that we live in. They're under the sway of the wicked one. The flow is so hard to fight. But you got to fight for your life. You got to fight for your families. You got to fight for the glory of God. And you have to do it under the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's radical, but it must be radical. Because the whole world is going down this river. And we want to go the other way. You see, that's why we have to know, you guys, you know, don't measure success by the standards of this world or the peer pressure of whoever it is. It could be your parents. It could be your friends. It could be your co-workers, your siblings. No. We've got to live life to please God. See, this world that we live in, Jesus three times called Satan the ruler of this world. That means something. John 12, 31 1430, 16-11. You know, before we were Christians, we were on the course of this world. Ephesians 2.2. Before we were Christians. We don't belong there anymore, right? We find in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, that Satan deceives the whole world, and eventually the Bible says that everyone's going to worship him. And so I think John writes this so that we might have this realization this appreciation even that we've been taken out of the world. But I can't help but also believe that he writes it so we would be careful not to love the world. Because, you know, here we are and we're just marching. We're just marching. We're just going with the flow, you know, and everybody else is doing it. You know, and you don't even realize that you're, you know, you're following the wrong person. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'll share this with you guys to my shame. There's actually been a couple of times where I was following my wife home uh, after church service. I like to follow her just to kind of keep an eye on her, right? Because uh, sometimes she likes to stop a jack-in-the-box, man. And I, I honk my horn. No, I'm just joking. I like to follow her, right? And here's the thing, okay? She drives a Camry. She drives a Camry. And as you guys know, there are many Camrys out there. And so there have actually been a couple of times where I started following the wrong car, man. <laughs> I'm like, why is she getting off right here, you know? <laughs> it's gotten so bad. Have you guys ever done this where we got to the car and we're like trying to put the key in? It's like, man, it's not working. What's wrong with this thing? Wrong car. <laughs> Sometimes we're following the wrong, the wrong person. We're influenced by society. The world that we live in, the flow is so strong. And it takes all of your life and all of your heart and all of your strength and all of your surrender and all of your wisdom. You've got to be willing to lose it all, right? To follow the Lord. And that's what John is saying. Who are you following? Don't think that the latest is the greatest just because everybody's doing it that makes it right. Remember, you guys, most of the time, most of the people are wrong, right? Society as a whole, we got to know, is under the sway of Satan. John says, we know these things. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he's been born of God, keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. The 
fourth point and final point is this relation with our Savior. See, this liberation from sin, it leads to a protection from Satan, sanctification from society, and a deeper relation with our Savior. See, Jesus, the Son of God, came to save us, and for the Christian, that means fellowship and relationship with God. It says right here that Jesus, the Son of God, came and has given us an understanding. The Greek word is the word translated mind oftentimes in the Bible. We now have a mind. We have a now a, a mindset of, of, of a heavenly aspect. Jesus said in Matthew twenty two thirty seven to love the Lord your God with all your mind. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. See, Jesus has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And that's really what it's all about. How did John start the letter? Do you guys remember? These things I've written to you, this one that we've touched and heard and we can still hear his voice, that you may have fellowship with him, with us. And he ends the letter the same way. It's about relationship. It's about fellowship with God. Do you guys realize that? That the Lord has come, the Son of God has come, and He's just now given us a mind, He's given us now an understanding that we can have a relationship, fellowship with God, that we can know Him. Interesting, the Greek word now changes. It's no longer oido, oido, oido. He uses that three times. Now He uses the Greek word gnosko, that we may, that we may know Him. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Remember what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17? This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John chapter 17, verse 3. See, I don't know if you guys know the Lord, man, or not, but you got to know that that's what it's all about. You know, as the church grows, every once in a while, I'll, I'll run into different people. and You know, you get to know people, you get to meet people. When you first become a Christian, it's kind of like now you enter into a relationship with the Lord, and, uh, and your relationship begins. But um, it, it shouldn't end with just meeting Him, or I've met Him. No, it, it shouldn't end there. It's, it now blossoms into getting to know Him. And that's what this is all about, you know, that we would know Him. After 30 years, Paul said it didn't end, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. He says, I, I, I've lost everything, man, and I consider it as dung. It doesn't matter. For the excellency of the knowledge, the knowledge of my Lord, right? See, and that's where we have to be, you guys. You know, as we close the letter, he says, this is what it's all about. It's about fellowship with God. And we got to make sure that we're doing that, that we're not just coming in and, and mixing with men, but that we come in and, and we get to know the Lord. And we, you know, I, I really believe that, you know, the, the way it works in life is um, you get to know God, and the more you know Him, the more you'll love Him. And the more you'll love Him, the more you'll obey Him. 
As we've gone through 1 John, we've seen that a large part of loving him and obeying him is loving others. And if you don't love others, John says, don't tell me that you love God. See, and we just, we just get to know him. We get to know his ways. And really, that's what it's all about. We enter into a deeper relationship with the Lord. You know, I know there's a lot of struggles here. There's, you know, you, as, a, as a, not just a pastor, but just as a person, <laughs> you know in life that people are struggling. Oh, they're struggling with their marriage. They're struggling with their finances. They're struggling with their heart. You know, they're struggling with drugs. They're struggling with sex. You know, just different things that are going on. And another thing that you've learned, not only as a pastor, but just as a person, how impotent I am really to, to really help others. I mean, you know, we do what we can, and we pray, and we give godly counsel, but at the end of the day, that person over there has to make a choice of whether or not they're going to follow the Lord. And, and so, you know, whatever your situation is, the best thing the most effective thing I can do, praying for you, yes, but then just pointing you. Yeah, you're having a marriage problem. Yeah, you're having financial problems. Yeah, whatever it is, whatever the struggles are, the finances, the fears, I don't know what they are. I'll tell you what, go to your Lord. Get on your knees and know that you have a personal relationship with him as a Christian, and he will be the one to lead you in life. You know, the last thing in the world that Christians should ever do is make decisions for other Christians. Oh, you need to do that, 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 that. I'm not talking about things that are clearly written in God's Word. But I'm talking about all the variables, all the divine details that really only God should be the one telling you to do those things. And see, as you have a personal relationship with the Lord, the true God that John's been trying to to present the true God that he's been fighting the Gnostics against. Jesus is God. Jesus is not a phantom. Jesus is real. He's a true God. This is eternal life. Not just a quantity, but a quality. And he's saying, this is what I'm sharing with you guys, man. This beautiful relationship that we have with the Lord. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that when we know him who is true, not the Gnostic heresy, know him who is true, and, and we are in him who is true. Look at where we are in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And so you guys, as we close, John is just saying, make sure that you have that relationship. Make sure that you don't buy into the lies of false teachers. Make sure that you understand the true God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that the Bible teaches ever so clearly, and you have that relationship with Him. Be so careful, he says in verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Little children. And again, I think it's cool. I mean, we know, you guys, that you're children of God. And yet at the same time, for those like, you know, John, who was an older guy, and he was the pastor, and he really cared, and you can just hear it from him, man. Little children, you know, as I close the letter, man, and as this comes to an end, 
You know, I know that there is going to be a constant battle. There's going to be a constant challenge for that throne in your heart. I really believe that. You know, when I was a wrestler, you know, you never let your guard down because next week someone might want to challenge you for, you know, your varsity position, right? And so, you know, I, I think that's the way it is for us as Christians. I don't think it ever ends as far as, you know, the enemy, the ambitions, the possessions, the relations that want to usurp the place that belongs to God in your hearts. And so he's just saying there, be, be careful. Be careful of the false teachers. Be careful of the Gnostics. Be careful of anything that would take away the priority of Almighty God ruling your life. And I'll tell you what, the number one contender, the one that is just always challenging God, is you. That's the biggest problem. Me. You know, the unholy trinity. Me, myself, and I. No offense, but if I can just say this, get off the throne. Who do you think you are ruling your own life? Who do you think you are calling the shots? Do you realize who God is? Do you realize who you are? What audacity that we have sometimes when we want to rule our own life. And he's just saying, man, I'm telling you this because I love you, little children. I'm telling you this because I care about you. Keep yourself from idols. Don't let any other ambition, any other possession, any other relation to get in the way of the primary relation. Because if there is anyone or anything getting in the way of God who is to be your passionate priority, then that is idolatry. And we go back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. 1 Corinthians 10, 7, and do not become idolaters as were some of them. And then Revelation 9, verse 20, it says, the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons. And here it is, idols of gold and silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And so my prayer, you guys, and, and, and John, you know, he's, he, he, takes, he takes life, because I've seen a lot of times what ends up happening is what messes us up is we make it so much more complicated than the simplicity of what it really is. God is God and you're not. He set us free from sin. So you don't have to sin. So you can stay away from Satan and the whole fallen flow of the world that we live in. It's very simple. But I think so many times we just, we just complicate it. Dear children, John says, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. And, and yeah, it might not be some profound doxology, you know, that we're used to reading at the end of the letter. But I tell you what, I kind of like it better because it's just a simple priority. And I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what the darkness is. Let go of it. 
right now, I pray, man, that we would run to the Lord, that he would really be our God. He's so cool. <laughs> he just wants to bless you, and he wants to hide this word in our hearts. And so, Lord, I thank you for your word, Lord. Forgive me, Lord, for those times where maybe I want to take over. Help me to see how absolutely wicked that is. Father, I know you love the people that are here, Lord, and I know that only your spirit, Lord, can really communicate if they would just soften their hearts Lord, let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day of absolute surrender. I pray that we would be sold out. Lord, just sold out and surrendered, completely committed to you. Show us those areas of our life, Lord, that are sin. And help us to run, to flee sin. Bless your congregation, Father. I pray that you would do a mighty work. And Lord, I pray that you would just encourage your church challenge us because i know i know even i know lord there is so much more that you want to do in and through me bless your church and lord i pray if there are any here today who don't know you well i pray that today they would give their lives to you and if you're here today, real quick, man, I just want to, just in case, give an opportunity. Maybe there's one person here or two, and, and God, God's speaking to you, and he says, I love you. One day you're going to die. One day you will stand before God, and you'll give an account. Were you born again? Do you really know the Lord? And if, you, if you're not sure, and you want to be sure, you're just going to say, Lord, I, I turn from my sins and I trust in you today as my Lord and Savior. It's got to be the Lord. Only he can save a single soul. Then I pray that you would make that decision today. And if you want to, I just want to pray with you. Uh, raise your hand if you would, man. If you want to receive the Lord, you want to know for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven. You want all your sins forgiven. It's a decision that you you got to make, man. you got to choose to follow him. Then just raise your hand, and we're going to pray for you. The most important decision you'll ever, ever make between you and the Lord. Anyone here? Father, I thank you, Lord, that we can just throw out the seed, Lord, and know, Lord, that you plant it when waters, and then one day there's a harvest. That's my prayer, Lord, if there is anyone here who's not yet a Christian, Lord. We thank you for allowing us to study your word, Lord, and may you do a mighty work, we pray, and we love you, and we ask in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626 
Remember that Jesus loves you.